Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. We are welcoming a new show to iHeart and the DraftKings YouTube channel. It is called Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano. It's an insider's look at the NBA and the culture surrounding the league. Every week, the five-time All-Star and the number one pick in the 2010 NBA draft, John Wall will give his unique perspective on the hottest topics in the league and tell the best behind-the-scenes stories from his time in the NBA. So check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, the DraftKings YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yeah, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. The Volume. Hoops Tonight is presented by FanDuel. The NBA is back and there's no better place to get in on the action than with FanDuel. This is my favorite sports betting app that is out there. It is safe and easy to use, easy to get your money in and out. I love that cash out feature. So if you're in good shape with one of your bets and you don't want to risk garbage time, you can get your money out quickly. Use promo code JasonT and download the FanDuel app today to make every moment more this NBA season. 21 plus and present in Arizona, Colorado, Connecticut, Indiana, Louisiana, permitted parishes only, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Tennessee, Virginia, or West Virginia. First online real money wager only. Refund issued as non-withdrawable site credit that expires in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 53342 in Arizona. 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut. 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Indiana, New Jersey, and Virginia. 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. one 877 8 Hope NY or text Hope NY to 467-369 in New York. In Tennessee Redline, dial 1-800-889-9789 in Tennessee. Visit www.1800gambler.net in West Virginia. All right, welcome to Hoops Tonight, presented by FanDuel here at The Volume. Happy Wednesday, everybody. I hope all of you guys are having a great week so far. The Lakers on a win streak. The Lakers fun to watch play basketball, which could not be further from what it was like last year. We're going to be breaking down the Lakers' big win at home over the New Orleans Pelicans. And then for those of you guys who stick around for the back half of the show, we're going to talk about the Celtics-Cavs matchup from earlier tonight, which was incredible. And then we are going to dive into the Knicks and the Hawks, a couple of teams that we haven't touched on yet this season. You guys know the drill. Before we get started, subscribe to the Volumes YouTube channel so you don't miss any more of our videos. Follow me on Twitter at underscore JasonLT. That's where show announcements will go as well as some of our footage breakdowns that we do because of some of the limitations that we have on YouTube. And then last but not least, if for whatever reason you miss one of these shows and you can't get back over to YouTube to finish them, you can find them wherever you get your podcasts under hoops tonight. So I was talking to uh, Ryan, one of our producers before the show, about how it just kind of felt like the Lakers deserved to win this game. 
Um, they basically outplayed the Pelicans for the vast majority of the game, except for the Lakers' best player, LeBron James, is having a really rough start to this season and was giving the Lakers almost nothing and was downright detrimental at a couple of specific stretches of the game. We're going to talk a lot about LeBron later on in the show, but I do not want to leave uh, lead with him. But, you know, in that kind of case, you know, it just kind of felt like on that final possession, you get a couple of missed free throws and Matt Ryan breaks free in the opposite corner. It's like, you know, you either believe in that sort of thing or you don't. Call it the basketball gods. Call it basketball karma. I don't know what you call it, but I just generally believe that sometimes those sorts of things tend to go your way when you're playing good basketball. And a lot of those kinds of shots did not go the Lakers' way last year because they weren't playing good basketball. Are they related? Probably not. But for the sake of making it more fun, let's just pretend that it is. And, you know, uh, there were a couple of specific things on that play that I found interesting. First of all, Austin Reeves threw an absolute dime across the court, hitting uh, Matt Ryan in stride. So perfectly so that Matt didn't have to go out of his way to catch the basketball. And because of that, he got to take a second to look down at his feet. And if you look at the replay, Matt is hyper-focused on making sure he's behind the line, but also that he has enough room for him to turn and plant his right foot on that shot. And, you know, um, uh, when, when you're shooting over your left shoulder, turning in any sort of way, mostly it's on post fadeaways, but you'll also see it on guards and wings uh, when they're flying around screens and movement shooting situations. But right-handed shooters naturally shoot with their shoulders, usually a little bit off-center with their right shoulder towards the rim. And so it's really difficult to get squared up unless you jump extra high and kick that right foot around. It's kind of like a little detail of uh, skill development when it comes to shooting for right-handed shooters, either in fadeaways over their left shoulders or in movement shots over uh, moving towards their left. And on that play, Matt had plenty of time to look down, planted that right foot hard, kicked that right foot around and stuck the jump shot. And the Lakers had more life. In, in, in overtime, it was all about the defensive end of the floor. They held the Pelicans to six points. Should have been four, too, because there was a play where Zion Williamson stepped out of bounds. Really, you had that um, uh, really tough left-handed hook shot off the glass that Zion hit over Anthony Davis's contest, a shot that I, uh, Anthony Davis defended almost perfectly. You just got to tip the cap to Zion. It's a great shot. And then there at the end of the game, when the game was basically over, CJ McCollum stuck a pretty tough little mid-range pull-up jump shot. But other than that, it was a whole lot of stops there in that overtime run. And that has become the identity of this Laker team. And that specific type of identity, the defensive end of the floor, is the kind of identity that will win you a lot of basketball games because it will keep things close. Your offense can be up and down. For instance, LeBron James is a good jump shooter. Yes, his legs look problematic right now. We're going to get to that, and he's struggling to finish around the rim the last couple of games. But LeBron James is a good jump shooter, but he's in a shooting slump right now. There are a lot of players around the league that are in shooting slumps right now. Trey Young is in a shooting slump. We're going to talk about him later tonight. There are a lot of guys around the league that can go through a shooting slump. If you have a defensive identity that you can lean back on, that is there every single night, provided you play hard. Bad, good defensive teams will mail in a game here or there. That sort of thing can happen. But for the most part, if you have a defensive identity and you have the personnel to do it and you care enough to try, it is a dependable outcome. And that's why it's such a good type of identity to have. And that's why when we look at NBA history, you almost always have to be a top 10 defense in order to win an NBA championship. And then we look at last year, and the two teams that were in the finals were the first and second best defense in the league. That is the most reliable way to win basketball games. In overtime, both LeBron and Anthony Davis got key stops on Zion. LeBron kind of tried to take a charge on Zion, which forced Zion to change up his steps on a transition play. It was funny. I was talking to, my, uh, to Ryan again, and Anthony Davis fell over one of his teammates in the backcourt. And I'm like, okay, guaranteed bucket. Every time Anthony Davis falls down, there's a bucket on the other end. And LeBron like kind of tried to took a charge, take a charge, and it messed up Zion's footwork. And he changed his steps a little bit, and he missed a left-handed layup that he makes 99% of the time. So it was a big play from LeBron. And then that ended up leading to a run-out dunk for AD, who stayed on the other end of the floor. And then Anthony Davis got a key stop 
late in the game where uh, Zion tried that big fake spin move that always comes back to his left hand, and he ended up shooting the layup over the front of the rim. And then Patrick Beverly was a big-time move from uh, from Darvin Ham to go away from Russ at the end of the game. And Russ was really good overall in this game, arguably his best game as a Laker, at least his best half as a Laker. And again, we'll talk about him in a little bit. But to go away from Russ at the end of the game because you were getting a little bit more of a natural shooting gravity from Patrick Beverly and then trusting him to defend well, it was a big-time move from Darvin Ham. And you were rewarded with two pivotal offensive rebounds by Patrick Beverly off of missed jump shots. And he played great defense on C.J. McCollum applying back pressure. And, you know, what's so important about back pressure on these guards is, you know, when they're coming off of these ball screens, they're seeing clear airspace in front of them, usually, especially in a scheme like Darvin Ham's where the big is dropping so far back. But if you are consistently applying back pressure, the guard still will not feel comfortable because even though he sees clear airspace in front of him, He's going to be paranoid that there's something coming from behind, whether it's a hand, uh, a reach, or digging at the ball from behind to try to get it while it's in your shooting pocket. It just adds a level of discomfort to the offensive player, which can lead to misses. And then, you know, LeBron James couldn't make a, a jump shot to save his life again tonight, but there was a play there at the end where he just willed his way to the basket bully ball style for a layup to put the Lakers up five. Just... You know, the, the stretches of good offensive basketball from LeBron in this game, which was basically that one sequence, and then uh, there's a little stretch at the end of the third quarter. We went on a 6-0 run on three straight post-ups. It's all just wily, veteran, old man, just <laughs> just, just willing the basketball into the rim. And, uh, and that's all he's got left at this point until he figures out what's going on with his legs, which we'll see. Um you know, the, the, the Pels made it interesting. Zion was fantastic late in this game, especially at the end of the third quarter. There was a stretch there where the Lakers left Wenyan Gabriel on him, and Zion just absolutely abused him. Another question I had about LeBron, like LeBron just didn't want that matchup, and I know he's capable of doing a better job on Zion than Wenyan was, so I was a little confused by that as well. Uh, Jose Alvarado was incredible at the end of the third quarter, and to start the fourth quarter – making momentum defensive plays, knocking down spot-up threes. He airballed a three in the right corner and then just started making everything after that. He also has a really nice little running scoop shot and teardrop in the lane that he was making. And then uh, in in OT, you know, all, all uh, season long, I've been most impressed with Zion's passing ability. And even on the play that didn't count, where he drove baseline, or shouldn't have counted when he stepped out of bounds, Zion just has such a natural passing feel. And he puts the ball with pace on target, which makes it really difficult to rotate out off of his passes. And, you know, I used to say this about Zion or about Giannis all the time. If you are unstoppable at the basket, which Giannis is and Zion is, fun fact about the 2021 season, I think. Yeah, 2021 season. Last year, Zion played a lot. Giannis was not the most effective restricted area scorer in the league. It was Zion. Zion is actually the most dominant paint scorer in the league. But it doesn't matter what kind of jump shot you have. Everyone thinks of the jump shot like, oh, you need to be able to shoot over the top. Not necessarily. If you can get to the basket at will, they're going to have to send multiple defensive players and build a wall. And you have to show a willingness to beat teams with the pass. And especially with the, in the first half and then late fourth quarter OT, I was really impressed with Zion's passing ability. Um, so those are just a couple of Pelicans I wanted to shout out in this particular game. A couple of specific things that I saw late in this game. Because Russ, you know, Russ played his best half that I've ever seen him play as a Laker. He was flying around on defense. He even defended really well on C.J. McCollum in the fourth quarter before uh, Darvin Ham benched him. Um, he took a charge. He was grabbing contested rebounds on both ends of the floor. He defended Zion really well on a couple of switches that he got. And uh, there were a couple of possessions where it was either transition cross matches or he was outright assigned to Zion. But Russ defended really, really well on those possessions. And then on offense, he just played smart. He made extra passes on his spot-up possessions. He made a spot-up three. I think the two jump shots that he missed were both... Um, uh, the two early threes that he missed were both off the dribble. He picked his spots to drive better. That's a huge a huge part of Russ's late career development is understanding that he can't just elevate over four people anymore. He's got to pick his spots better. And 
just in general, in the last couple of games, that's a big part of what I've noticed. It's fewer drives to the rim, but more effective when he goes because he's just being more picky about when he's doing it. And then we had that run there at the end of the second quarter, which was incredible. I think the Lakers held the Pelicans to 11 points total over the last 10 minutes because, once again, it's about their defensive identity. <clears throat> but they held the Pels to 11 over the last 10 minutes of the half. And at the end of the half, they just spammed LeBron James, Russell Westbrook pick and roll with Russ as the ball handler. And in every single case, they got a, they got a, uh, uh, LeBron got a dunk out of it. There were a couple plays where he hit LeBron for kickouts, but for the most part, the Pelicans were running drop coverage. So they had Trey Murphy on Russ and they had Najee Marshall, Marshall on LeBron. And as Russ was coming off of the screen, Trey Murphy's chasing over the top and Najee Marshall is sitting to contain Russ. And then they're bringing help out of the weak side to bring over to, Lebr uh, to LeBron as the role man. It was kind of like a really confusing defensive scheme because you just don't need to do that uh, with that specific action. But Russ was just making easy kickout passes and then it was bang, bang, extra passes and guys started knocking down threes. And Lonnie Walker and Troy Brown Jr. in particular, the two of them made a lot of really important, timely spot up threes in this game. And again, like when it comes to the Lakers shooting situation, they don't need to be a great shooting team. It's just, that's not that big of a deal, but you do need to be able to make a decent percentage of the wide open ones that you get out of really solid offensive action. You can be picky, limit your attempts, take high quality attempts and professional basketball players are going to hit them at a decent percentage. This is not the type of team until they make a trade that's going to be able to hit lots of difficult three-point shots, but if they're timely and they knock them down, that's enough for them to win games because of how well they defended. And when they were running that LeBron-Russ pick and roll, Troy Brown Jr. was knocking down shots. Lonnie Walker was knocking down shots. That's really all you need in those situations. But I thought it was really interesting because he came out in the third quarter. His shift In that shift, he struggled a little bit, had a couple turnovers, had a couple missed layups. But then when he came back in in the fourth quarter, he defended well and was making plays. Overall, it was a great Russ game. But I tweeted, if you guys saw, if th those of you who follow me on Twitter, I tweeted out at halftime. I went back and rewatched those spanned pick and rolls, and the coverage was something you don't usually see against the Lakers. Russ, LeBron James, Anthony Davis. You're going to think a lot of pick and roll, right? Russ and LeBron are two great passers and two great downhill ball handlers. Anthony Davis is a great role man. And even LeBron can be a great role man. So there's all these different combinations for you to think Lakers are going to run a ton of pick and roll, but they haven't. Not even just in the Russ era, but before that, in the LeBron James, Anthony Davis area. They haven't run a lot of pick and roll. And the main reason why is because Anthony Davis can't shoot and Russell Westbrook doesn't shoot very well. And so when those guys are... Um, uh, when those guys are in those actions, they're constantly trying to get downhill and bully you physically. LeBron's a bully ball player. Russ is a bully ball player. Anthony Davis can be a bully ball player. And if he's taking jump shots, you win usually, right? So what happens is every team that's good puts big forwards on all three of them and they just switch the action. And even during the championship season, when LeBron James and Anthony Davis would run pick and roll, it was a switch. The difference is, is that in that season, Anthony Davis was a great ISO player. And then when LeBron James had the ball, they had respectable enough shooting that he had lots of room to work and he was a great ISO player. So they'd run the pick and roll, attack the mat or the screening action, and they'd attack the matchup that they'd like, or they just skip the pick and roll altogether and just go to one of them to ISO. When teams run drop coverage against LeBron, Russ, and AD, it opens up all of that stuff that makes it look all fluid and nice. And I tweeted that out because my concern was, okay, Russ is playing great, but that coverage is not a coverage they're going to see often. And then we got late in the game and they started switching. And all of a sudden, it becomes a little bit more problematic when LeBron James is ISOing out of a switched pick and roll against Larry Nance and Russ's man is sagging off and Anthony Davis's man is sagging off and there's just not a lot of space and now you're getting pull-up jumpers, and LeBron doesn't have the legs to just bully his way to the rim the way he usually does, and you start to get a lot of settled-for jump shots, and it becomes a problem. And that's kind of where I was coming back to on that whole situation is like, like Russ was really, really good. He's been really good for two games in a row now. I'd argue this is the best two-game stretch since he came to the Lakers. 
But the reality is, especially when they get into tougher matchups against teams that have the forwards to just switch those actions or are just not dumb enough to run drop coverage against them, you run into the same conundrum. They're going to switch a big guy onto Russ, and then he won't be able to bully them, and then he won't shoot the ball well. Then when you have LeBron ISO, they're going to help off of Russ into the lane. Now, Russ has been a lot better in recent games at being active off the ball. He grabbed pivotal offensive rebounds tonight. Russ has been a lot better. In fact, I'd say he's been good overall this season. But the problem is, is that it has a certain ceiling to it, right? And then you saw tonight they couldn't actually use him in crunch time, or at least they opted not to. So even though he was really good, the idealized version of this team is you look at the roster and you go, I've got LeBron James, I've got Anthony Davis, I've got all these guys that are defending. They have arguably the best defense in the league, uh, you know, at least the best defense in the Western Conference, and you have the opportunity to turn Russ into two or three offensive role players that bring in a little bit more firepower to this team, and you're not sacrificing any defense because you've got all of these defensive players that are thriving next to LeBron James and Anthony Davis. So I, I don't think it changes the outlook for how the Lakers should proceed from a strategy standpoint. But that said, I'm very happy for Russ. He deserved to have a couple of really positive moments with the Lakers. I hope he has a couple more before they do a trade him. Hell, I hope he just flat out just continues to excel and they don't need to trade him. I just think we have to acknowledge the realities of the situation. All right, a couple of uh, guys I want to hit on before we get out of here. LeBron. So I thought he was pretty bad in the third quarter run, particularly on the defensive end. Um, left Wenyon on an island too much. Uh, and then late in the game, I, he had a bad foul on Zion on a turnaround. Uh, late, I think it was just end of the fourth quarter. A bad foul on a turnaround where, uh, where he should have just walled up and made Zion make a shot instead he reached in. And then on the offensive end of the floor right now, now there was a report that in the first quarter he took his shoe off. Like he took his left shoe off and was just sitting on the bench with his left foot out. Now, uh, he's been complaining about left foot soreness. And it's obviously leading to some limitations in his explosiveness. That goes without saying you can literally see it watching the games. I had a stress fracture in between my first and second year playing in college. And the way it manifested is foot soreness. Your foot is sore. And then you start to play and it loosens up. And then you stop playing and it just aches like all hell. And then basically what happens is, is it gets a little bit worse every time you play. And then if you take a day off, it gets a little better. And if you take two days off, it gets a lot better. But then as soon as you start playing, it gets worse and worse again. And so that's the one thing that scares me with the LeBron thing is I hope that's not where that's trending. I hope it's just some foot soreness, maybe some you know ligament inflammation or something like that and not something more serious because the explosiveness is not there. And as a result, he's not confident in his jump shot. And he's been good defensively overall this season, but it, you just you, this none of this makes any sense unless LeBron is great. And so I, I may think it you know they can't afford to bench him, and I don't mean bench in terms of for his play, but they can't afford to give him a couple weeks for his foot to heal because of just the predicament that they're in in the standings. But it may be worthwhile to cut his minutes because especially in these weeks before a rush trade. Because if Russ is giving you what he's giving you on ball, which is a better version, a lot, lot better version of what you got last year, if you're getting that from Russ and you can cut LeBron's minutes back to 28, 30 a game for a little while until that foot kind of starts to come back to, uh, come back to life a little bit, then you get an idealized version of LeBron. Because I do believe there's a better version of him that we'll see this season. I'm just worried that he might get hurt before then. And so it's just something that they need to be careful with. Because right now, I mean, if it, like it's a problem. Like he's not getting to the rim and finishing well. There's a play in overtime where he drove to the lane um, and got a step on C.J. McCollum and just threw the ball into the bottom of the rim. And just even, even last year, that's a dunk. He shrugs C.J. off of him and dunks the basketball. In his prime, it's a sports center top five type of dunk. Like that, that, that's, he's just not LeBron right now. He's honestly the one big question mark. Russ has been the best he's been since he's been with the Lakers. Anthony Davis, I think is the early 
leader for defensive player of the year. There's no other exceptional defenders on this Laker team. The only player in the league averaging over two blocks and two steals per game is Anthony Davis. He's been amazing. The biggest thing with Anthony Davis that's standing out to me is his instincts on drop-off passes and interior feeds, like things around the lane. He keeps his hands out and low in all those pocket pass areas and drop-off pass areas. I can't tell you how many times you see a player drive into the lane, think they have Anthony Davis in help, and then pump fake and then go to throw a bounce pass, and Anthony Davis just sticks his arm down and grabs it. And that triggers a lot of the Laker fast break stuff. These are guys, too, that are not necessarily regarded as great defensive players. Lonnie Walker was regarded as a bad defensive player in San Antonio. I've always thought Austin Reeves was good, but if you talk to the other guys around the league, they're like, oh yeah, attack Austin Reeves every time down the floor. LeBron is coming off of one of his worst defensive seasons because he just didn't care to do anything, although he's been a lot better this year. You know, there's there, there's a lot of guys, Russell Westbrook is another example of that. There are good defensive players. Troy Brown Jr. is a good defensive player. Patrick Beverly is a good defensive player. Juan Toscano Anderson, who's out of the rotation now, is a good defensive player. Wenyan Gabriel is capable, but like, it's not, it's not, uh, an elite defensive squad. It's it's guys competing and then Anthony Davis just being an alien and a superstar on the defensive end of the floor. But if I'm looking at the Lakers as I zoom out, you've got the defensive identity is real. That's a real thing. It's going to help them win a lot of games this year. They're starting to shoot the ball better. That's good news. We saw that coming. There was no way they were going to keep shooting 20% from the field. They're starting to knock down some of their wide open threes that they get in the offense. Russell Westbrook, even though I still think he needs to be traded, is playing the best that he's played since he came to the Lakers. Anthony Davis in the last couple of games has played like a top 10 player. There's lots of good there. The one big question mark is LeBron. And so I, I, I hope I hope it's just this foot and that he can figure it out and get it together. Because if he's if this is the LeBron you're getting, then there is no there's there's no legitimate ceiling for this team. He hasn't been one of the top 10 players in the league to start this season. And here's the thing, man. He's he's in his 20th season. He's about to turn 38 in December. And he's got all these commercials about him competing against Father Time. I saw one today where he blocks uh, uh, the Father Time guy off of the glass, and then it's like, LeBron wins. And the funny thing is, here through seven games or whatever this is, I would argue Father Time is winning. So I'm rooting for LeBron. I hope he can figure it out. And uh, I'm glad we got a fun fun to watch Lakers team. Like I told you guys, they are defending. So all they needed to do was get a couple of shots to fall and they were going to start winning basketball games and they've won two in a row. All right, let's move on and talk about the Celtics losing an OT on the road in Cleveland. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere. Like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. We are welcoming a new show to iHeart and the DraftKings YouTube channel. It is called Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano. It is an insider's look at the NBA and the culture surrounding the league. Every week, the five-time All-Star and number one pick in the 2010 NBA Draft, John Wall will give his unique perspective on the hottest topics in the league and tell the best behind-the-scenes stories from his time in the NBA. CJ will bring his A-list comedian buddies to keep it light and fire off some hoops takes. Plus, John will be inviting current and former NBA players, friends, and teammates to join the show as well to give their unfiltered accounts of what really goes on in the league from a player's perspective. So check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, the DraftKings YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Good sleep should come naturally, and with the new Natural Hybrid mattress, it can. A collaboration between award-winning mattress brand Lisa and home design icon West Elm, the Natural Hybrid is the culmination of the two companies' shared values. Premium materials, meticulous craftsmanship, and sustainable practices made with natural latex, responsibly sourced natural wool, and environmentally safe foams. The natural hybrid elevates your sleep sanctuary, indulges your senses, and supports a greener tomorrow. Plus, when you purchase the natural hybrid, you're also helping fuel Lisa's work with shelters and those in need. 
Since 2015, Lisa has donated more than 40,000 mattresses to ensure children and families have a safe place to sleep. Visit lisa.com forward slash hoops to learn more. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com forward slash h-o-o-p-s. All right, we are live on AMP. For those of you guys who are watching on YouTube or on the podcast feeds, don't forget that AMP is the first place where you can get these post-game shows. Uh, We're going to be covering that incredible basketball game between the Boston Celtics and the Cleveland Cavaliers, who have given us two incredible basketball games already this season, both of which went to overtime. And then we're going to talk a little bit about the Knicks and the Hawks, who also had a really interesting game tonight. Those are two teams as well that I have not yet done a deep dive into this year. So I wanted to get to them. And what a perfect example, Trey Young on the road in MSG. Great opportunity for us to get into that game. Knicks led by 23 and got blown out. Really, really weird game. But we're starting with the Celtics and the uh, the Cavs. And this was this was a really interesting game that had a lot of ebb and flow, a lot of runs from both teams. Both teams at various points felt like they had the game completely under control, but neither was able to hang on uh, for any extended period of time. And I thought it really, I thought for both teams, really, it, it hinged on perimeter contain, which is always been what I believe is the most important skill on the defensive end of the floor over the course of the last couple of years, because you need dribble penetration to get high quality shots. It's that simple, even really good pull up jump shooters. That's not a good shot necessarily. It's an okay shot. It's a shot you'll live with, but nothing is as good as a driving layup or a wide open three on a driving kick or a really good post mismatch when you've got a good size advantage. And so when, as teams contain the basketball, they tend to get stops. And when they get stops, they get opportunities to get out in transition, which helps you avoid the other team's half-court defense. And then you start to get easy baskets. And then, you know, that can sway one way or the other as one team continues to get uh, to do a better job containing the basketball or to do a worse job. It kind of reminds me of the offensive line versus defensive line battle in football. We pay a lot of attention to things like, you know, quarterback play, skill position play, you know, coverage down the field in the secondary, but the reality is, is so much is happening there in the trenches and whichever team is controlling that area of the game usually has a significant advantage. Boston's second quarter run when they took, I think they took an eight point lead in this game. There was like five or six possessions in a row where the Cavs didn't even get a foot in the paint. And then Karis Levert and, and Darius Garland kind of were looking at each other like, what are we supposed to do? At one point, there was a turnover on a swing pass because, like, Lavert just didn't know if he should try to drive. And Boston can make you feel helpless sometimes because, you know, someone needs to create an advantage. And, and without Robert Williams, they're doing a lot more switching than they usually do. A lot of times, it's like staring at each other to attack Jalen Brown. I don't necessarily think that's the right matchup or it'll be like, Oh, well, I got Jason Tatum on me. Like I, I don't have the right matchup or, okay, I guess we can go to this guy. He's being guarded by Marcus smart and things can really bog down and get really stagnant. And Boston can be really intimidating in those moments. And that's when they go on their runs. And then in the third quarter, when the Cavs went on their run, they started to get dribble penetration. Donovan Mitchell made a driving bank shot going to his right. And then Darius Garland started getting downhill and kicking to shooters. And then they started to gain control of that again. And then you also had a classic Boston offense stretch there in the uh, mid-second half. Over the final nine minutes of the third quarter, the Celtics managed only 10 points. Lots of bad pull-up jump shots. Again, some of that is Cleveland containing the basketball. Lots of missed layups, lots of turnovers. And then Boston goes on a huge defensive run to start the fourth quarter. And Cleveland doesn't score for almost four minutes. And that was your kind of back and forth throughout the game. And then we got to crunch time. And it was basically Donovan Mitchell shot making versus the Celtics punishing the Cavs on the other end of the floor for having some weak perimeter defensive players. Mitchell had a ridiculous series of of shot making. He made a nasty step through floater over uh, Marcus Smart. He had a step back three. He had a driving layup where he initiated contact with Al Horford, kind of caved his chest in a little bit. So he had the angle to get all the way to the rim. He hit a step back two over Jalen Brown. That was really nasty. And then on the other end, uh, Marcus Smart and, and Malcolm Brogdon in particular were really getting good dribble penetration on Darius Garland, who's not a good 
perimeter defense uh, defender in this league. And then Donovan Mitchell made a couple of really bad defensive mistakes down the stretch as well. There was a play where Malcolm Brogdon drove along the baseline and uh, uh, Mitchell didn't help, also didn't keep a man uh, an eye on the man and ball. And Marcus Smart back cut him and he gave up an and one. He also gave up a way too easy driving layup to Jason Tatum where he's quick enough that he should be able to contain the ball a little bit better. That's going to be an interesting conundrum for the Cavs over the course of this season is they've got these two incredibly dynamic interior defenders in Jared Allen and uh, uh, and Evan Mobley. But on the perimeter, you've got Donovan Mitchell, who makes a lot of defensive mistakes, Darius Garland, who's just physically not up to the task. And then at the small forward position, it's kind of like a toss-up between they can go with Isaac Okoro, who is a much better defensive player but has some offensive limitations, or they can go with Dean Wade, who's shooting the laces off the basketball but has defensive limitations. And they're on the final play of the game. Um, they left uh, Dean Wade on Jason Tatum, and he just back-cut him. And then elevated for one of the most disgusting dunks I have ever seen, just posterizing Jared Allen to tie the game. And then on the other end of the floor, a really, really good defensive play blocking Donovan Mitchell on a pull-up jump shot. It was a back-and-forth, incredibly entertaining game. And Donovan Mitchell and Darius Garland just made a couple more plays in OT. Uh, they went with uh, Dean Wade on Jalen Brown on the final possession instead on Jason Tatum. Uh, he did a better job containing the ball, forced him into a tough fadeaway jump shot and you win the basketball game it's very very entertaining game lots of back and forth both teams have their weaknesses um but I think Cleveland in the long run they're the team that I'm more concerned about between the two even though they've won both of these matchups because I think in a playoff series the Garland Mitchell thing is going to be a little bit of an issue on the defensive end of the floor and then that three spot you've got to go with offense or defense and that's just a really tough decision to make and it's going to be matchup dependent in most cases. And, and I, I mean, just before we, I, I have two specific topics on these two teams that I want to hit Boston's defense. And then also the Darius uh, Garland and Donovan Mitchell rhythm stuff. Uh, but before we get there, I just have to shout out both Jason Tatum and Donovan Mitchell are so incredibly good. And they made that game so much fun to watch. And both of them through just like bursts of of otherworldly athleticism left their imprint on this game. Obviously, the Tatum dunk, but he also had another transition layup in OT where he looked like a freight train and Cleveland looked helpless. Donovan Mitchell had a contested rebound that he grabbed towards the end of the game uh, where you're uh, the ball's up in the air. There's all these tall dudes on the floor. And here comes Donovan Mitchell, who's what, 6'1", 6'2", whatever he is, just comes flying in and secures the rebound. Just a big-time winning play. Uh, from Donovan Mitchell. But I wanted to talk about Boston for a minute because uh, after I believe this is their third loss of the year, and they came into the night 21st on defense. And you know what was interesting is, is last year in the playoffs, transition defense was their problem. They were unbelievably good defensively in the half court, but then they would turn the basketball over, take bad shots, and then the other team would run out for layups while Tatum and Brown were complaining to the refs for fouls and things along those lines. It's the exact opposite this year. According to Cleaning the Glass, the Celtics coming into tonight were fourth in transition defense and 23rd in half-court defense. And the easy excuse is to say something like, oh, well, it's Robert Williams. He's out. But the truth of the matter is, is while Robert Williams does make them a better defense and he is a good defensive, a great defensive player, and when he comes back, I'm sure he'll fix a lot of their problems. But last year, without Robert Williams on the floor, they were still very good defensively. And they have all of the important pieces from that team that was great defensively with Robert Williams off the floor last year. The reality is, is they just haven't been good enough. They're having stretches like they did to start the fourth quarter or in the second quarter of this game where they defend really well and the other team looks helpless, but then they get sloppy. And, and, you know, some of it is malaise. You made it to the finals last year. You know, you came this close to winning the title and now you're in this grind of an 82 game season and it's hard to find the motivation. I get that, but you need to build the habits. There's never been a team, not not in recent NBA history, there's only a handful in NBA history, and they were freak talents uh, um, that won a title without having a top 10 defense. You need to have your defensive, um, all of your defensive details really sharp over the course of a regular season. And right now, they're simply not good enough. You can't blame Robert Williams. Yes, he's coming back, but right now you're not good enough outside of that. So that's something that they're going to have to figure out. Um, on the Cavs, one of the biggest things I was looking at in tonight's game was obviously Darius Garland coming back. 
because, you know, Donovan Mitchell, and for, for all you Cavs fans, we did a deep dive on the Cavs earlier this week. I, I, I can't remember which day it was, but you can find that on our YouTube feed. If you scroll back, you'll find um, us doing a deep dive on the Cavs. And I talked a lot about Donovan Mitchell in that video, and he's averaging a career high in points this year, a career high in assists, a career high in true shooting percentage. He's having an incredible season. And a lot of it is about the realities of the way rhythm works. Like, Donovan Mitchell had a great finish to this game, but he kind of had a, I think he was six for 17 at one point and looked like a little bit lost in how to attack, especially in that first half. And that's kind of the difference between when you're sharing responsibilities offensively versus when you have the show entirely. When you have the show entirely, one, there's, you don't even have to think about sharing the basketball. So you can mentally just focus on shot making rather than worrying too much about your, um, worrying too much about the rhythm and flow of your team. Now, yes, he's he had a career high in assists, but he's kicking to shooters and throwing lobs to guys around the basket. It's not like he's sharing ball handling responsibilities to any great extent. Karis LeVert has been aggressive, and he's been good in that role, but it's different when you're sharing it with three guys versus when you're sharing it with two. You're seeing this with Luka Doncic, too, who's having a ridiculous scoring season now that um, – um, now that uh, now I'm blanking on his name, but the little uh, – Jalen Brunson – the guard that they lost to the Knicks last year, but uh, uh, over the summer. But when you have the responsibility solely on your plate, you get to you get to shrug off the misses, just keep shooting. The ball's in your hands all the time. You have a good feel for everything, and you can just focus on that. But with Darius Garland coming back, there's going to be nights where one of them has a rough night because they don't really feel like they have the basketball enough, and it's going it's going to be worth it. The upside of having that additional creator is a thousand percent worth it. One creator is just way too easy to stop in a playoff series. It gives you much better matchup flexibility. Like if you just have Darius Garland, but you run into a team that has two or three really good guard defenders, you you're limited in what you can do. But if you have two guys and you know, one of them is a bigger, stronger athlete and one's a little bit more methodical and a little bit more of a passing guard, you have more matchup flexibility and what in one series or in one matchup, one guy might have an advantage and then that can swing and you can go to the other guy. So you have flexibility there. You're much less predictable. And then the, the biggest part is just less fatigue. It's just really hard to create shots for your team without much help over the course of a series. But if you've got another guy to go to, you kind of share that burden a little bit. So the upside is worth it, but it's going to be an interesting dynamic for Darius Garland and Donovan Mitchell to work out because you have to learn to feel which one of you guys has it that night. Like there are going to be nights where Darius has it and Donovan's got to play more of a supporting role and maybe not shoot through the slump, but rather continue to feed the guy who's got it going and focus on other areas of the game or vice versa. They're going to have to read that. There will also be nights where they both have it going and the give and take is great. But the dynamic when you're sharing those responsibilities is different and they're going to have to work that stuff out. Um, for instance, you got to focus on um, devoting more resources to the defensive end of the floor because you don't have as much on your plate offensively. For instance, Donovan Mitchell, this was one of his worst defensive games of the season. He got uh, There were several missed rotations where he was like glued up to a shooter and one pass away, there's an open guy. And instead of making that extra rotation to close out and make that shot more difficult, just kind of stands there and concedes the shot. Like when you're sharing the floor with Darius Garland, that can't be what you do anymore. Now you don't need to save all your energy for the offensive end. You have to make those defensive rotations. And then obviously he had those two really bad mistakes at the end of the game when he got uh, back up by Marcus Smart. And then when he gave up that driving lane, to Jason Tatum. And the other part too is just becoming an excellent off-ball threat. You've got to find a way on the possessions where Darius Garland has the ball to be effective. Now both of them are good spot-up shooters and that is one part of that, but it goes deeper than that because you can become a better off-ball threat if you're more willing to set screens when you don't have the ball, when you're more willing to cut to the basket if you see an opportunity. Uh, crashing the offensive glass if it calls for it, or if, uh, depending on floor balance, you might be responsible for transition defense, in which case you can help your team by getting back. You know what I mean? So when in this dynamic, it's going to be really interesting to see how it affects the team moving forward because they're going to have to figure out that balance and they're both going to have to become better off the basketball. But super entertaining game, two very good teams. Yes, Cleveland's 2-0 in this matchup but I would pick Boston in a series over them. And I think they have legitimate advantages specifically in perimeter size against Cleveland's weak 
perimeter defenders that would cause them problems. Cleveland's an, Cleveland's an exciting team, um, but I don't think I'd really get behind them as a legitimate contender until Donovan Mitchell really became an impact defensive player, which right now he just simply is not. I think you can get away with one. You can get away with Darius Garland, but you can't get away with two. And then obviously you've got to figure out that three spot as well. All right, so Knicks and Hawks. We're just going to talk for a couple minutes um, about these teams. I had this game on on the side, so I was watching it part of the time, but I obviously didn't have a super close eye on it. Uh, the Knicks were dominant early in this game. Defense in particular was really, really good. They're super physical. They help a ton too, so they dig down in driving lanes. And so sometimes opposing guards will have rough nights against them. But then they actually built a 23-point lead, and then DeJounte Murray just exploded in the second quarter, hit a ton of threes, hit some pull-up jump shots. He had a pick six, too. Um, and that allowed uh, Atlanta to get out in transition. And they had a huge fast break points advantage in this game because they were able to avoid New York's half-court defense. And New York's half-court defense is pretty solid, so it's important to get out in transition to try to avoid that as much as possible. And then that carried in oh, over into the second half, and then New York's half-court offense fell apart, and Atlanta dominated. And New York's 20th and half-court offense this year uh, before tonight, according to Cleaning the Glass. Kind of that same kind of dynamic I was just talking about with the Cavs-Celtics about perimeter defense and the ebb and flow. You start to get out in transition, you start to get baskets. You start to get baskets, you get to set your defense. You start to set your defense, you're keeping the other team in the half court. Now you're getting more stops, which is allowing you to get out, out in transition. Atlanta dominated that dynamic in this game, uh, trailed by 23, and actually blew out the Knicks before the end of the night. Really impressive game. And DeJounte Murray was the best player on the floor by a mile in this game, just came flying off the screen. Um, I love DeJounte Murray. Uh, he's shooting 39% on 8.4 pull-up jump shots per game so far this year, including 40% from three. He also brings like a ball pressure element with some length and uh, a more turnover uh, capability to their defense in the backcourt. Uh, you guys know me. I'm not a huge Trey Young fan. I had him outside of my top 25 uh, coming into this season. I think the Miami series kind of demonstrated the playbook for how to stop him. If you can stay glued to him over the top because they took away his jumping backwards foul drawing move, he's actually really bad at finishing around the rim. And so if you can kind of funnel him into the basket into all of your length, he's going to miss layups or take bad shots and miss shots. And so he's, and then on the defensive end, he obviously is just a complete and total nightmare. He might be the worst defensive player in the league. So for me, I'm not the biggest Trey Young fan. I should just be upfront with that before we go any further. But DeJounte Murray definitely uh, makes this team more fun. And one thing I will say in defense of Trey Young is he's just not shooting the ball very well this year compared to the way he usually does. That will change and things will improve for them after that point. So far, the Hawks are ninth in offense coming into tonight, 24th in defense, 18th in net rating. They defend the three-point line really well, but they don't defend the paint well. And they foul way too much. They allow more free throw attempts than any other team in the entire NBA. Um, the guy that I'm most excited about on this team right now is DeAndre Hunter. Um, he's showing some of that high-level closeout attacking that we've seen from Mikhail Bridges, where it's not just hitting threes or driving and kicking to teammates or finishing at the rim, but he's got some of that in-between game that's really impressive. Uh, he's super big and strong, too, which makes him super valuable on the wing. I was watching a game uh, uh, last week on Wednesday against the Pistons where to start the game, he just like ripped through and initiated contact with his left shoulder and made like little short floating push shots in the lane. And I'm sitting there thinking like, man, that's the kind of stuff that makes you, that is the difference between you being a three and D player and something so much more than that. So that's a guy to be really excited about. If, uh, if you're a Hawks fan, I'll be honest with you guys, I'm never going to believe in the Hawks until Trey young is the second best player on the team, because I just don't believe that he can be the best player on a team, but there's certainly a lot more fun now with DeJounte Murray. All right, really quickly, uh, checking in on the Knicks. They are 13th in offense so far this year, coming into tonight, 15th in defense, 11th in net rating, 11th in paint points allowed per 100 possessions, which is concerning because they're giving up 40 three-point attempts per game, which is most in the league. 22.2 of them are classified as wide open according to the NBA uh, uh, tracking data, which means the defender is at least six feet away. And you can see it on tape. I talked about that earlier. They're digging down from the wings. They're overhelping on drives. That sort of thing is okay. You saw the Bucks do that last year. But if you're going to do that, you better completely shut down the paint 
and they're just not. They're giving away uh, way too many baskets in the restricted area um, th- uh, to, to make that a viable defense. And then they're also fouling too much. They're 25th in fouls per 100 possessions coming into tonight. Uh, on the offensive end of the floor, they're super balanced. They've got three dudes averaging between 17.5 and 18.5 points per game. Uh, Julius Randle, Jalen Brunson, and um, R.J. Barrett, but none of them have been particularly efficient, and that's their biggest problem, and that's what's hurting them in the half court. All three of them are good enough to be good secondary creators, but none of them are good enough to be your primary creator in any sort of environment, so they're going to struggle to score in the half court. The thing that's keeping their offense afloat right now is how good everyone else is playing. Evan Fournier has been great. Derrick Rose has been great. Cam Reddish has been great. Uh, Hartenstein was a great pickup. They're all playing really well in the roles. And then the guy that's been most impressive to me in that group is Obi Toppin, who once again is also showing some of that high-level uh, closeout attacking. He had a play in this game where he attacked out of the left corner, pump fake, drive baseline, gets cut off, cuts back to the middle, looks for a kickout, doesn't see it, realizes he's on his own, pops up and makes like a little floater in the lane. That's high-level stuff. When you're playing a great defense that's trapping you in the half court, you need guys that can improvise and make shots. And having that on the wing – and then obviously he brings everything that he brings in transition and he's a little bit better defensively uh, than he used to be. Obi Toppin's exciting. Um, if their stars can start shooting better, then they'll be a pretty good team. But obviously they're not going to be a great team until they get that true lead creator. All right, guys, that is all I have for tonight. As always, I sincerely appreciate your support and I will see you next time. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. It's Freddie Prinze Jr. and Jeff Dye back in the ring. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. Hey, Jeff, are you ready to rumble our way into an all-new season of Wrestling with Freddie? You better believe I have. I've been practicing my body slams, and I'm jacked. All right, don't go injuring yourself now. We'll be highlighting the best stories and matches of the week in wrestling from AEW, WWE, and have one-on-one talks with the best talents in the world of pro wrestling. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.